0: Welcome to Church Life Today. This is your host, Tim O'Malley, sharing stories of Catholic leaders whose creativity and imagination has renewed the life of the church. I'm a professor of theology at the University of Notre Dame and the managing director of the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. Youth ministry is on the front lines of the work of the new evangelization. We know that high school students often struggle with anxiety, with stress with questions about sexuality, with a sense of meaning and purpose in life. It's youth ministry that ends up offering the healing medicine of Catholicism to adolescents, the kind of medicine that could transform their lives. We have one such youth minister with us today. Catherine Angulo directs youth ministry in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. She's a native Colombian, Having worked in the church at every level from parish ministry to diocesan work to consulting for national organizations. And she's an important part of the McGrath Institute's own work in youth ministry, helping advise Notre Dame Vision on how to cultivate vocation in the world today. Catherine, welcome to our program.
1: Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Well, it's a delight to have you, and it's a delight to have you because of the breadth of your work. You've worked in the Diocese of Knoxville, you've worked in Raleigh, and now you work in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. What do you see, having worked in youth ministry across these various spaces, what are the challenges you see for youth ministry today?
1: Well, the advantage of working in this particular diocese in the southeast of the United States is that they are growing dioceses. And that is the exciting, that's the good news. Uh, we don't see that in every single area of the nation. So with excitement of growth, uh, you can bring uh, creativity and enthusiasm, but we also have to embrace the challenges of a uh, weak foundation uh, to be able to create a full impact in the youth that you are trying to serve. Uh, so the challenges that we are embracing is even. Today, uh, the Catholic Church doesn't have a very strong foundation to offer healthy youth ministry in every single parish based on financial issues or also the lack of volunteers that are willing to step up and help out in in the call. And and why that is important? Because we do have uh, a new reality with our youth. We have teenagers that are asking the question constantly, is it possible to be Catholic today? I'm the only one here in this in this uh, church, and and because they don't see that much ex- exposure of other uh, mentors in their own parishes, that will help them uh, understand that the Catholic Church is stable and is universal. The other thing that I'm seeing as a challenge is that families are no longer what we used to believe families were: mom, dad, and children, grandparents, uncles, and aunts. Now we have uh, two, three marriages uh, mixed in in between one family or single parents or uh, parents that um, just have an excellent relationship or a really bad relationship in their family as a couple. Uh, So with these challenges, the foundation of ministry is already different, and we need to embrace that reality to be able to offer a healthy ministry, uh, youth ministry for our teens. And the other crisis that I see tremendously in the youth is that we have been sending a very clear message that God wants you to be happy and that Jesus loves you. But we are lacking on the sending the message that he also said, if, please, if you want to follow me, hold your own cross, carry your cross, and and, and follow my steps. We're forgetting the understanding and the value of the cross. So when teenagers embrace difficulties, challenges, they don't know how to act, and that's how they quickly lose their faith because God didn't make them happy at all times.
0: Yeah, how do you creatively respond to that? I, I love uh, the, the point about f- the renewal of families. I love the point mm-hmm. about challenges to finances. And of course, I presume mm-hmm. that the problem of finances hasn't been solved for you. The Archbishop of Atlanta probably hasn't given you $3.5 million uh, in your mm-hmm. budget. So you know, how do you respond yeah. creatively in the midst of these challenges? What have you done?
1: Well, I think in uh, diocesan level, the first thing that you have to do is make your own youth ministers aware of the reality of your entire archdiocese. Uh, to give you an example, right here in Atlanta, I have one parish that has three full-time youth ministers for 80 kids, and then I have a parish with 600 teenagers in the just in the confirmation program with a part-time volunteer. So whenever you let them know the reality, and that's the community that we should serve um, they start to open up their minds and see like oh so I wonder what if we have this speaker coming we could invite them to come for free so they can see one great event one time or what well, we don't hear their stories what are they doing to have a program that is very successful because 600 teenagers just in the confirmation program is is incredible to see their stories to hear what, what is keeping their faith alive Uh, and why it's so hard for us with three full-time youth ministers to keep up a decent number of participants. So when you start to balance them out, that's the first vision of true understanding of what ministry is in your own diocese.
0: So it's about breaking down silos. It's about creating opportunities for parishes to work together that often don't work together. Uh, I love the, uh, the point you also made about suffering. I mean, how do you work with students on that? I teach undergraduates, and I often encounter students who just can't handle when things don't go well. They shut down. Uh, what's the resources from the tradition? Uh, of course, it is the cross. But, I mean, how do you talk about the cross with adolescents in a way that, that they actually can have a flourishing spiritual life?
1: Well, the first reality that we need to understand is our teens are being bombarded with news, information. And we're forgetting that they are teenagers. Their brains have not fully developed. So it's even even hard for them to comprehend pain, pain, despair, uh, tragedy. Uh, So we need to start from that point. Then we need to also realize that there is something called prayer. In prayer, you have a dialogue with God about what is going on our teens today are struggling tremendously to have a dialogue. They're very good at texting, but they are very hard at explaining their feelings. Very often I found in my, in my guidance, teen, teenagers telling me, but it hurts. And of course my youth reaction is, what do you need, a first aid kid? <laughs> and then they are like, no, 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 it's not that. It hurts. And I have to start to give them words to see if they, I can define what is it that is, what they are, their feelings. Uh, so as a church, when we are able to express uh, with uh, our prayers and our thanksgivings to God, then they start to realize that they are, those are feelings that they can express, and by defining them, then they know how to deal with it. Also in prayer, you have the opportunity to give up the problems that are above you to God and say, God, I cannot handle this. I'm just a teenager. I cannot solve uh, the terrorist attacks. I cannot solve my parents' divorce, but I'm lifting it up to you, and please guide me and help me have that day by day. Through prayer, teenagers can find peace, and that's what they're lacking so much. And then community, to know that they are not alone that when they share those struggles and that joyful moments too, with the community, with their peers in the church, they are going to be able to understand the value of they are not alone. They are not the only ones struggling with things, um, and that will help them get perspective of the issues that they are embracing.
0: Yeah, what are the forms of prayer you're noticing that are really helpful for this? You know, we just he- hosted this meeting of campus ministers from throughout the United States, and it was revealed mm-hmm. that amongst young adults in particular, that their biggest concern, uh, the thing that they most wanted out of campus ministry that they weren't getting, was uh, they needed to be taught how to pray. So, so what forms are effective in this? Uh, what's the kind of prayer that you, you find adolescents today, these millennials are attracted to, or Generation Z? Yeah,
1: Generation Z is very attractive to adoration and part of it is because it's the only place that they can find silence and through silence they are able to actually start a conversation however if we use that on, on inappropriately we can destroy the purpose of what adoration is um, and I'm going to explain the why I'm saying this uh, one time I, I was in a training with teenagers and this girl we just had mass and we were getting ready for a break and these teenagers kept asking me I need to eat with Jesus right now I need to eat with Jesus right now and I was Trying to look at it from a pastoral way and trying to figure out what was going on with her, but then I realized that in her mind, adoration was more important than mass. Uh, so because we, they enjoy so much the quiet time of adoration that they forget that the Eucharist, the, the highest of the highest prayers that we can experience, where we are not only welcoming, nurtured, fed. But we are also sent for. She forgot the sent for part, where we have to go back to reality and share the good news with the people that are around us. Um, So adoration is definitely, definitely uh, a highlight for this generation because of, of the opportunity to have silence and to be able to listen.
0: Yeah, I've encountered this as well, the, the sort of rising of adoration amongst this group of, of, of folks. And I, I think I often found it, particularly in the South. So I want to ask you a question about this. Um, Southern Catholicism, I, I myself, Southern Catholic, grew up in uh, mm-hmm. Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, where you worked as a youth minister. And uh, mm-hmm. when I moved to the Midwest, I noticed a big change in the feel of Catholic life uh, in the Midwest yeah. versus in the South. Yeah. Often, Midwesterners and East Coast folks have this dire state of the church. Parishes are closing, schools are closing, the the very sort of world, the sky is falling. Give us some good news from the front lines of Southern Catholicism. Can can you tell us, you know, what are signs of growth in the church that you're noticing in the South?
1: Well, if you just start by numbers— Our parishes are packed of teenagers, um, and and that's wonderful news. Actually, I was very impressed in my tour around the Archdiocese when I visit the parishes. When I go to Mass, you see the majority is younger uh, than older. When you go up north, you will see the community is almost older than younger, uh, which is very exciting. Um, The reason why is so is strong and is, is still is growing it's because we are affected by the bible belt reality where our teenagers our children do have to stand up and they do have to explain why they believe what they believe in uh to their every, to their peers in the school to their neighbors uh to to the community that they are seeing every single day. Uh, so with that, they have be, been able to own their faith. It's not the faith given by the parents, but it's the faith that they own themselves. And that's the good news. There were a, I personally come, I was born in, in Colombia, raised in Colombia, and it was a, and at the moment a country that 90% of the people, 99% of the people were Catholic. So I never had to really talk about my faith. It was, the dialogue was always welcome and it was kind of expected. But when I came to the United States to the South and, and I started to be questioned all the time, that's when I knew I have to, if, if I wanted to be a Catholic, I needed to learn how to answer the questions, but also how to express it through my um, actions every day.
0: Yeah, so let's imagine you're asked that question, right? So someone asks you, why are you a Catholic? Uh, how do you respond to someone? I mean, I, too, grew up in the South, and I was always asked, you know, why am I a Catholic and not an evangelical or not a Lutheran, not a Methodist? You know, what do you answer? How does a Catholic answer this?
1: Because I found uh, the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist uh, when I, heard I see uh, the community gathered together in prayer um being able to be fed by the Old Testament and the New Testament readings and being in the presence, in the direct presence of Christ, um, I can see how God is with us and He is right here and He's helping us build the kingdom of God here on earth. And He's calling us to then go forward and share that good news to everybody. I believe in a loving God. I believe in the God that is, um, has created us with very unique, uh, Presence, uh, gifts, talents that we can share to the world to to be able to to build what paradise will be here on earth if we really follow all of our uh, talents in this world. And why Catholic? Because I was taught in my family the gift of the treasure of my faith, the tradition of the history and. I was able to leave an example in a family where they were strong in their faith. And I want to continue that DNA that is in me um, because I have had that personal encounter with Christ. Uh, something that I, I find that is we're struggling a little bit in the South is that our teens in this area are not very close to the Blessed Mother. And not because they don't like her or they don't feel the connection, it's because they know that in the community that they live in, to say that they are Christians equals, um, we, we can deal with that. But to say that they are Catholic Christians, uh, they, they have the issue of Mary and that is so controversial that they prefer to omit her a part of the church um, and the tradition of the Catholic Church. So uh, that's the only part that is a little bit painful for me uh, when I see teenagers really struggling to connect to our Blessed Mother or to to the saints, uh, but otherwise, um, and to even sometimes to understand the Eucharist. But um, when when they go to their other churches, they realize there is a emptiness at one point in the services. And that emptiness is the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist.
0: Yeah. How do you connect these students to the Blessed Mother? I mean, we we certainly experience the same thing here. Uh, I think people often forget, you know, here we are at the University of Notre Dame, and the University of Notre Dame isn't actually, it turns out, a football team, uh, but it's also Mm -hmm. uh, a university named after Our Lady. Uh, And so how do you hold up this kind of image of the Church grounded in Mary's fiat, her let it be done to me according to thy word? Uh, How do you Mm -hmm. do that?
1: It's something that I have learned is as long as you open the space for her to help you in the journey in my own personal conversion, um I was struggling when, as a teenager to to understand my relationship with God the Father uh, because I did have a little bit of a vision of God the Father to be as the ruler at that point in my life uh, but the blessed mother, I knew she will be as a mother, she will be caring, and she will understand me, and she will take me through the journey so my my faith grew through the gentle uh, care of the Blessed Mother that took me from a step to step to be able to mature in my understanding of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, uh, but always under her protection. So how do I uh, share with teenagers when they hear what she went through uh, as a teenager themselves? The decisions that she made. They, they, our teens are looking for almost like heroes in today's world, and when I, I try to share the story of the Blessed Mother, what she did, not just for for us today, but the realities that she was embracing at uh, at the time of her um, uh, when she was called by the angel Gabriel, the the bravery, the 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 fear, the faith, the, the, the way that she was able to so lovingly say, yes, here I am, Lord, is so much courage. It took so much courage to take that decision. Then teenagers admire that, and then they can connect to her and say, okay, if you have that, that courage, just please let me know how I can, I can have it too so I can continue with my own journey, on my own reality, on my own every day. Uh, but the, the beauty of it is that the Blessed Mother will carry you gently through your process, if you, con- if you continue that dialogue with her. And I, it's just through practice, and, and I think she makes it so real that it's, it's impossible to ignore it.
0: What a wonderful gift you're giving to these students. Uh, we're speaking to Catherine mm-hmm. Angulo, who is the Director of Youth Ministry in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Uh, I want to ask a, a kind of imaginative question. Uh, let's say that mm-hmm. someone calls you tomorrow and says, Catherine, we would like you to lead youth ministry in the United States. We want you to be in charge. What are some things that you would want to, to institute across the country in youth ministry? What are some, some new ideas, some, some new vigor you'd like to institute?
1: Well, the number one question I get from teenagers is what is right and what is wrong? Uh, That doesn't mean uh, they are going to follow the instructions I give or the teachings of the Catholic Church. But they want to know what is right and what is wrong. Our teens want to hear the good news. And unfortunately, we have forgotten to do that. But at the same time, we have forgotten that our teens are disciples themselves. And the church hasn't given them the space and the the, uh, area where they can express their own uh, journey of faith. So my, my dream will be to first um, activate our communities to let them know that their example is critical in today's uh, world. Uh, before we based the faith in the foundation of the mom and dad, Uh, But many of our teens don't have that. So we, the community, the parishioners, need to activate ourselves and become like the uncles and aunts of this generation and be able to provide them that, that example that probably they don't find in their own home. So no longer worry about your own family. Worry about the community of families that you have present in the church. The second, value the church presence as a disciple. So give them the opportunity to share those transformations. Uh, One of the things that we offer here in the Archdiocese of Atlanta is a magazine called The Mark, where teenagers just share their journey of faith, where they have those moments of grace and and they are having those encounters with Christ. And some of the testimonies that I have there are testimonies that no adult will have the bravery to be able to to share in public um, because they are ashamed or, or they think it's no... Is not necessary, but by sharing those testimonies that we have, we are going to be able to start to see that God is alive and is present the way they touch your life, my life, in the everyday uh, experience. The other thing is uh, to train our uh, volunteers or leaders to help them understand that we have un- unfortunately got stuck into the mentality of a program. And programs are, in a sense, killing the ability of God to be present. God is the one that makes the, the encounter with, with the, every single human being in the world. God is the one that creates the conversion. We just create the environment for them to have that, that, that encounter. And unfortunately, in today's reality, many people are just so in love with a specific program that they forget that God can speak in many other ways. And for that reason, we can lose uh, the people that we have there. And to do all that joyfully, I think uh, if we keep being pessimistic about the realities that we're embracing, uh, we are forgetting that we know the end of the story. We know what is the end of the story, and we know that God is with us. So we need to keep a joyful heart because if you are really connected to God, no matter how many challenges you are embracing, the joy will show And I want people to start to tell teenagers, do you want to know why I'm completely in love with this God that I'm talking to you about? This is what he did in my life. This is how I saw him today. This is how I feel that he exists because I I experienced this, this, and this. And we have forgotten to do that. Uh, We have forgotten that we are disciples and we are training our disciples for the future generations. Um, So that will be part of my highlights to embrace youth
0: ministry. Yeah, it seems like a key point—not just to treat these uh, students as consumers of programs that we're creating, but actually building a sense of discipleship, a sense of energy, a sense of their own vocation to bring this out to the world to preach our crucified and risen Lord. Um, what a—I would hire you as a head of youth ministry in the United <laughs> States. So, so you—you know—you won. Um, uh, let me ask you a little something. You know, uh, we, we mentioned you're from Colombia, and you, you've mentioned that as well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's often the case that the church, you know, they're, they're noting the trends that we we definitely have massive demographic shifts. We're, we're no longer primarily mm-hmm. a white church. Uh, we have massive mm-hmm. growth in Hispanic uh, culture, which of course includes Colombians and Puerto Ricans mm-hmm. and Mexicans and uh, all those in sort of Latin America. And there's often a talk. We have tons in the church, tons attending uh, mass, tons going to our parish, uh, but they're not yet in positions of leadership. They're, they're not yet being ordained in massive numbers in dioceses. They're not directing youth ministry. What can we do about this? How do we change so that we actually have leadership from the very group of people that are making up the American church today?
1: Well, I think the first understanding is even among the Hispanic community that we have in the United States, we have very different distant groups in between them. What do I mean with that? You have the Hispanic uh, community that has been here in the United States for many generations. You have the Hispanic uh, community that came to the United States as young adults and they haven't been able to receive education or to move forward. They are just doing labor. You have the Hispanic teenagers that were born in the United States and now they are 60% of the Hispanic population is under the age of 19. And then you have the Hispanic teens that have, don't have any connection whatsoever with the Hispanic community. So we, you need to understand those realities to the way that you embrace culture. The number one question I get from everybody is, "Catherine, are you trying? Is the Catholic Church trying to build two churches—one Hispanic and one Anglo?" And I say, "No. We, we want to truly be able to offer the, a discipleship uh, and, and, the, and to evangelize these communities. We need to speak." in the way that they understand through their heart. And this can be a language issue. This could be a cultural issue. What do I mean with this? When I uh, go to church, I go to church in English. I offer uh, all my prayers in English. I I enjoy the community in English. But whenever I have a personal issue that is very deep, deep, deep in my heart and I really need to sit down and talk to God about it, most likely I'm going to do it in Spanish. So, when I talk to people, is before you start to offer catechesis in a specific language, please make sure you ask the question what is the language that you fall in love with, with people? Meaning, what is the language that you can express feelings and and, and your heart freely um, that makes you feel comfortable? Uh, Because for our teenagers right now, the language is English, but they cannot embrace the reality of the other teenagers that speak in English because the realities at home are different. What do I mean with this? I have uh, now teenagers that were born in the United States uh, that are Hispanic, that are fully in English, they don't understand Spanish, but they are asking the question to God, why, if it wasn't my fault, I'm illegal and I can never go to school, although I have done everything right since the moment uh, that I have uh, a conscience. It was my parents that once brought me to this country. That's a very different theological question to God than a teenager asking why I didn't make it to the soccer team. It's different. That doesn't mean it's less than, but it's different. So to be able to evangelize these new communities, we need to ask the questions, where are you? And by knowing where are you and how you can connect emotionally to God, then let us, uh, we can help them evangelize them and and train them to be able to serve that community that we have here in the United States. Ignoring that can create many issues. For example, I have teenagers that are forced to go to Spanish uh, youth groups. They don't understand anything, but when I ask the parents why you force them to do that, they say, because I want them to learn Spanish. So my question to many people will be, if you are sent to learn Chinese, during your confirmation class, do you think you're going to connect to, to God? Probably, but it might take many years for you to understand what the message was. Uh, so that's a very hard reality that we have right now in front of us and that we haven't embraced. And that's why it's so it's taking so long to find disciples to stand up and serve the church. But the love, the energy, and the commitment that the Hispanic community has for the church if we are able to embrace it quickly, we'll be able to f- provide energy and, and, and a great future for our Catholic Church here in the United States. But we need to act quickly. We need to touch their hearts now before they get uh, lost in in the in translation, literally.
0: Yeah. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Catherine Angulo is the Director of Youth Ministry in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Catherine, thanks so much for talking with me today.
1: Thank you, Timmy. It was an honor.